Today on the Pro-Life Podcast, should infertile couples be able to use brain-dead women as gestational incubators? Welcome to the apocalypse. Let's get started. Hot topics today, but we have our friend and president of Texas Right to Life, Dr. John Sego, in the house with us today. Thanks hey. for joining us. Today, yeah, man. Good to happy see to be here. But you could be in town today. Um, and we kind of saved this topic for you specifically because <laughs> you are so much more qualified to talk about this than myself. Hi, hi people around the table. Brent Klingerman, IT Director. Kim and Schwartz, Media and Communication Director. Okay, introduction's done. Um, oh, it's a spicy is, article. <laughs> it is so... <sighs> Welcome whole, to the apocalypse. Whole body donation. Yes. Okay. Um, I feel like about a year ago, we were talking about wanting to, uh, whatever association, I don't remember all of them, but they wanted to rewrite the rules of brain death. Yeah, still to be even on. broader. Yeah. And I said off camera when we're chatting, you know, about the content, getting ready to do some more recording, I feel like this is a setup to where you're going to have brain dead people. Mm-hmm who are alive enough that we can use their organs, use their bodies, be a reproductive farm, be a infinite blood donation, organ donation farm, and then you're just reproducing more of those because, well, they weren't there to say they didn't did or didn't want this child. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so here this also, guy makes his argument in favor of th- this. Will you, will you read the headline there? Oh, which this headline just yeah. says whole body gestational donation. Yeah. What does that mean? So, yeah, so this this article, this bioethics article that just came out has a, you know, a bioethicist, you know, seriously recommending that we mm-hmm. kind of overcome these ethical barriers for what is called a whole body donation for the purposes of gestational surrogacy. So uh, allowing individuals to donate their bodies to a couple so that their body can be used to have a have a baby. So okay. we have a I, woman who is declared claimed brain dead. Yeah. And beforehand, before becoming brain brain dead, uh, she said, you can use my body to uh, be a surrogate for mm. couples who want to have a baby. So you can implant the baby in my body. I am now brain dead yeah and i will gestate this baby for nine months and yeah so that didn't happen but this this bioethicist now is in a very serious journal arguing like yes yes you know there's maybe some red flags that you you know are popping up here but we can overcome these and so through this article she's going through all of the arguments and trying to you know make the case that this should be acceptable this should be allowed for a whole body donation Mm-hmm. Uh, I the way you said overcome ethical barriers <laughs> is the biggest red flag. Okay. So that's how we talk in bioethics. That's how we talk. And it, even when I do this from a pro-life perspective. We need perspective, to find a way to scientifically allow doing things that are wrong. Yeah. So whenever I'm trying to have like a common sense approach to some of these topics when I'm writing, especially in organ donation, mm-hmm. I will use this kind of language of, we should re-examine those 
ethical barriers. And yes. in reality, I'm saying, no, that's insane. It, we have it's to a barrier <laughs> for a reason. Yeah, it's a yeah, scientifically yeah. So sorry, polite yeah. way to say. Yeah, it's a polite do way. Do something crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, thinking about the context of this for pro-lifers, you know, some pro, you know, some of your audience may just be like, "What? Why are you guys about this? We, yes. we care about, you know, preborn children. We care about, you know, their parents. Um, we care about protecting pregnant, you know, women and even vulnerable patients." Um, but for the pro-life perspective, we have to think about the reason that we're here. The reason that abortion has been a, a huge focus for our movement is because of human dignity and the sanctity of human life, okay? So our ethic applies to all of these topics. It's the foundation that we're gonna build all of our perspectives on these issues on. And a lot of the attention goes to, you know, the beginning and the end of life. So what do we do with abortion? What do we do with pregnant women? Also, you know, what should our policies be on, you know, causing death, um, assisted suicide, euthanasia. But in the middle, our pro-life ethics should also inform these kind of what we would call middle of life issues like organ donation, like surrogacy, like birth control, emergency contraception. All of these topics that are debated in medicine and bioethics, they also must be informed by our foundation yeah. of yeah. dignity of life. And so that's kind of where for our audience, they're kind of like, oh man, you're getting into another crazy topic. It is still a pr huge pro-life concern. And as you can see in this article, no one else is standing up yeah. for the dignity of these these patients that you know are, are going to be abused through this process. Right, because when when I did a Google, it's all bioethics articles, and then one that's like an argument from 1988 about using brain dead women as incubators. Apparently, it's an old idea. Um, Yikes! <laughs> well, every, thanks Australia. <laughs> again, you said that nobody's doing this yet, but every bad action starts with a bad idea. So yeah. even if you're like, oh, this is crazy talk. No, this is just a bad mm -hmm. sci-fi movie. Nobody's <clears> going <throat> to actually do this. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, and, and so that's kind of why I got involved in, in bioethics because I was doing my work here and seeing some of the debates they were having in the legislature and all of these experts would come up and testify about patients' rights. Mm. And I'm like, where are these coming from? They're supposedly experts, they went to school. And then I, that's kind of how I discovered what bioethics was, this whole field to kind of govern the interaction between our ethics and our practice of medicine. And you know, that's kind of where a lot of these debates we're having now started in academic discussions. Even you look at you know, abortion, um, you know, in the early or in the late fifties, early sixties, you had an, a very, you know, kind of vibrant, uh, academic debate, even before we get to mm -hmm. Colorado's law, New York's law. And then of course, Roe v. Wade. So you're absolutely right. We can't ignore, even if it's just some egghead writing some crazy article, we can't ignore that. We need to be att paying attention to these trends. Well, and it always start. Yeah, you're right. It starts here. All, all the uh, sci-fi stuff we look at, lots of engineers say, <laughs> Star Trek inspired me and now I do this thing. And they work at NASA. Now we're trying to teleport things and turn mice inside out or whatever. Oh, well, um, you put it in that perspective. That makes it even more terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> the ideas start somewhere and then so enough people go, well, I wonder if we can do it. Well, maybe we should try. Yeah. It's like, did we watch Jurassic Park, people? Like seriously. I actually have not, so, but I know the line, I know the movie. Like you gotta stop to think if you should do this. Yes. And and we we joke, okay, weird, you know, some egghead decides to have a theory or whatever, but now we are actually re-engineering um, chickens into dinosaurs. So this doesn't sound, 
There are literally movies about why that's a dumb idea. Yeah. Okay, so Kim, how how would a pro-abortion, you know, activist start thinking through this issue? Like, what are they going to start walking through? What are the barriers in their mind? I'm just so confused. Whenever I see this concept of using a woman who, like, is, they say, brain dead, and we've talked on this real quick tangent. Uh, We've talked on the podcast before about how there are questions with brain death. I think a lot of people, especially in society, think that death, the societal notion of death and brain death are the same thing, that you have a person who just is not alive anymore. But there are these other questions about like Jahai McMath and other people in the past who have Mm. been declared brain dead, but then uh, they actually have that rescinded and they're alive again. So brain death may not be as permanent and as, far-reaching as most people think. So that's why there's this question. But from the pro-choice perspective, I think that you would, that they would see this person, this woman as actually dead and her body is being used to gestate, being used as an incubator, as they would say, because uh, the pro-choice argument against banning abortion, they say, I'm pro-choice because I don't want a woman to be used as an incubator. This is literally that. But then at the same time, I don't know if they would condemn this because in many of the uh, modern leftist minds, consent is the highest moral value. As long as you consent to something, then it's fine, whatever you do. So we were talking before we started uh, recording that uh, a lot of people my age are open to having like open relationships because it's like, as long as we both consent, then it's fine if you go and uh, do some other stuff. So consent is the highest moral value in their opinion. And so if this woman, before she became brain dead said, I want you to use my body as an incubator, then she consented in the past. And so I would think that even with all of this talk about like, you pro-lifers want the handmaid's tale. Mm. This is pretty handmaid's tale. It kind of is. So yeah, so for us, the foundation of all of these questions is human dignity. Does this practice, does this law, does it detract from or does it promote and protect the dignity of individual human beings? Okay, that's gonna be our foundation. And you're absolutely right. Now in modern terms, all of ethics has been thrown out the door except for the question of consent. Yeah. Okay. So. I don't know if we've talked about it here, I've talked about it plenty, but about dualism and about how that kind of boils down humans just to rational beings. Like the most important thing about you is your rational functioning. And the most important thing you can do is consent, make a informed decision whether you want something to happen to you or not, that is all. And so it's not just the most important ethical question in in their context, it becomes the only. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we look at like how pro-lifers think about uh, euthanasia or assisted suicide, consent is for them, well, this is what the patient wanted. Whereas as pro-lifers, we look at our foundation of you know the sanctity of human life. Mm-hmm. Because my life is valuable and it comes, it's actually valued, uh, gets its value from something outside of me, from our creator, right. I don't have the moral authority to say, I consent to take my life. My consent doesn't matter right. because at the end of the day, there, there is a, something higher, there's something bigger and more permanent than I am that gives me value. And so even if I want to cause my death, 
I don't have that moral authority. Mm -hmm. And so that's why kind of we can lead through some of these other issues on on ending your life, you know, euthanasia, assisted suicide. Uh, and there's also this applies to other areas where consent's not the most important issue. But for them, okay, you said it, you know, you you allowed it, and so there's no limits. Yeah. There's there's no limits on what can be done to you. There's no limits. You know, the kind of hypocrisy of that argument, though, and this is what I like to talk to people about, is what about suicide itself? Yeah. As a society, we don't think suicide is okay. Why? Right. And and why is that? You know, obviously that person is consenting to that action, and then you know. They have to come up with, okay, well, it's because there was some depression that, you know, negated their consent or something. You know, they have to like come up with right. it, but it kind of proves that we all kind of know consent can't be the only ethical mm -hmm. question. Right. Uh, but that's definitely how this function is. I mean, this article is functioning yes. of, okay, you know, what was the, was there a donation status mm -hmm. from the patient? And if so, we're good to go. And she argues yeah. because you know, we let patients consent to donating other parts of their body, you know, individually, um, you know, for organ donation. And so why not, you know, allow your body to be used for surrogate purposes? We need to take a break really quick, have some important information, and we'll be right back. Book your tickets today for Boots on the Ground Pro-Life Convention. Join us in January 28th and 29th in Austin, Texas for an amazing lineup of pro-life speakers. We have Frank Pavone of Priest for Life, Destiny of New Wave Feminists, expert apologist Trent Horn, and so many more. We will gather with hundreds of people to march to the Texas Capitol to celebrate the end of Roe v. Wade and to learn our legislative agenda for keeping Texas pro-life forever. BootsOnTheGroundTX.com. See you in January. Without warning, you or your loved one could end up in the emergency room where every second counts and your medical wishes matter more than ever. However, if your loved one doesn't have the right medical documents on hand, they may not be able to make decisions for you in a crisis. My Life Angels solves all of this by walking you through step-by-step -step in creating these important medical documents and storing them online securely for you and your family to access at any time. The service is only $7 a month, but use the link in our description for 20% off your initial subscription period. Don't let strangers make life and death decisions for you. Get the My Life Angels app today. Welcome back, friends. Yes, boots on the ground tickets. It's this week. It's this week. It's in a couple of days. If you're in the Austin area, buy a ticket. It's going to be a fun time. So we actually discuss issues like this. Um, it's actually how I've kind of formed an opinion about issues like this at conferences like ours because you get to hear speakers you would not hear anywhere else, all in one place. It's amazing. Um, okay, but let's let's pick up at surrogacy a little bit because. That's a whole nother hot topic, a weird conversation. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot of support for uh, gestational surrogacy, which is, you know, using, um, you know, a couple kind of contracting with a woman, um, you know, a, another woman to carry their baby to term, having their child, and then, you know, it, it being the couple's baby, not the, the one who birthed the child. And so surrogacy and a lot of pro-lifers that, you know, sometimes this question comes up to pro-lifers and a lot don't know what to do with it. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult issue, yes. but the biggest concerns and our recommendations practically have been, okay, you know, what is going on here? Are we, um, you know, are we objectifying first a child, a human life, that, that now it is a commodity 
and that this couple is doing anything and everything to acquire this new commodity. And so right. we're, you know, now we're having market forces involved and labor forces involved in us acquiring something that we would receive as a blessing for the Lord under natural circumstances. Okay. So it's like, okay, so we, are we commodifying the child? And then also are we um, kind of you know, how are we approaching the woman who we're having a contract with here to, to carry the child? You know, are we using her as a means to an end? Um, and is that, what does that mean about her dignity? So you have, you know, dignity and sanctity of the child. How are we viewing that? And then the dignity and sanctity of this woman who is now becoming your gestational surrogate. Um, those are important questions. And it's hard because as pro-lifers, there's a baby involved and, and, you know, Lord willing, at the end of the, the process, you have a child to celebrate a birth. Mm -hmm. So a lot of pro-lifers default are like, well, that's got to be good, right? You know, we can't, you know, that, that's something to be celebrated. Yes, children are to be celebrated, but these are some things that we got to make sure of. What are we saying about human dignity to get there? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that with the issue of this like brain death and surrogacy combination here, you have our ethical questions about brain death. You have our ex ethical questions about surrogacy and they cross in this just bizarre, bizarre yeah. way <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. that just wait down the line. We are going to, I wouldn't be surprised if we actually see this uh, start to happen and maybe even become mainstream. And so it's good that we have these questions and conversations right now. But with the issue of the uh, woman who is declared brain dead and said beforehand that, yes, you can use my body as uh as to gestate, gestate, yeah, uh, a child, uh, then go for it. But it's very clear what makes regular surrogacy different than this situation is that it's obvious you are using the woman's body as a commodity, even though mm -hmm. maybe she consented prior. And again, according to like uh, the other side, they might see consent as the highest moral good, but you know, the, the ongoing conversation that they'll have with consent yeah. is that maybe your prior consent isn't your current consent. And that's a very valid question. Mm. We have no way of knowing with a woman who is declared brain dead, a woman who has a brain injury, we don't know what her current consent is. And so it's better, is it not, to err on the side of caution and err on the side of uh, her life in order to not take advantage of her body here. Because we've also had the conversation um, back in 2022 with uh, Jenny Hammond, who was mm. declared, almost declared brain dead and had locked in syndrome. So we don't know if that's, that could and be. And they were debating whether she was going to be an organ donor. Right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah. they were already thinking of her as, you know, a tool for yes. other to help the health of other patients and, you know, ignoring her personhood right in front of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're right, if you have a surrogate, and, and this is, I can already hear some of my friends who are pro-surrogacy, you know, saying, well, you know, if the woman is there and you're in a contract with her, there's all these safeguards. You know, you can do, you know, counseling and right. psyche vows, and, you know, you can co continue to have that conversation with her to, you know, put in these safeguards. There's not even that pretense with this mm -hmm. patient who right. mm -hmm. is, you know, uh, is brain damaged and um, obviously healthy enough to to gestate a child. I mean, and that's kind of the crazy thing is when yeah. we get into talking about brain death declarations, we have these stories of, um, you know, patients who were declared brain dead or had serious brain injuries and they're still, their bodies are still able to, 
you know, have a child, to grow a child. Yeah. Um, and so that shows you that something more complex is going on here than just this patient is dead. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, usually we wouldn't expect a dead patient to, you know, be able to have a child. Most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time <laughs> so, that does not so happen. If you haven't if you haven't listened to those episodes about brain death, I think we've approached it a couple of different times. Yeah. But yeah. if you haven't, you need to go back to those because there's some really good reasons that pro-lifers especially should be skeptical mm-hmm. of this whole concept of brain death that the biology and the legal definition don't have to match exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- there's some really good reasons to be skeptical of that. And there's definitely some better reasons to be skeptical of how brain death is treated today, just on a practical level yeah. from hospital to hospital. And so I know Emily um, has, you know, filmed some videos for us to mm-hmm. give practical advice. We have a series of articles on our website right now, actually, okay. that Emily and her whole team is working on to publish and just educate more about brain death. Yeah, but you're right. This topic is like the bingo of bioethics <laughs> topics because it's like, okay, surrogacy, questions there, brain death, questions there, right. you know, like, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's we got a lot of, <laughs> got well, a lot of issues here. We talk to neurologists who are like brain injury, mm. degree of brain injury equals days, maybe weeks of recovery. So, oh, yeah. well, they're brain dead. Okay, well, they're brain dead now. But now we now we've actually created a reason that the hospital doesn't want to just kill them. Mm-hmm. So now we're giving them nine months at least. Right. So what happens in three months, six months? Right. She wakes up. She's very pregnant. And hold on, yeah. I this, I don't think this is what I signed up for. Yeah, no, that's and a good point. Then we got another weird situation. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Is that when you when it comes to brain injuries, uh, you know, there's been a really big debate recently amongst experts because they're doing these new studies that show most of these even severe brain injuries need more time before you can definitively say they're not going to recover. And so now you're kind of throwing out the typical way we handle these, which is make declarations as soon right. as you can. And so yeah, it's an interesting, <laughs> so in practice, yes, you may have you know gestational surrogates who have been declared brain dead and now are being used as, as surrogates who recover from their brain injuries that got them in this situation in the first place. Um, that is a, that's that's going to be a, a very difficult situation. So yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot to, to consider here, uh, when looking at this, you know, are we going to use the bodies of brain injured patients as as incubators? And it reminds me, this is just such a uh, Venn diagram, if you will. Like Kamala Harris, <laughs> I love Venn diagrams. Oh, um, it, it shows this overlap between the issues of brain death and our value of life for people who mm-hmm. are brain injured mm-hmm. and valuing the life of the unborn. And it reminds me of uh, David Delighton spoke at our Celebration of Life Gala a few years ago. And something that he said stuck with me all this time. He said that it is, let me back up a little bit. Uh, David Delighton was the guy who exposed Planned Parenthood trafficking baby Mm. body parts that aborted children, the remains of aborted children were being sold and used for organ harvesting basically. And he pointed out that it is with abortion that the child can be aborted because she's not like us, but her organs can be used because she is like us. So it's this very profound juxtaposition of you're similar enough that we can use you, but different enough from us that we can end your life and abuse you. And I think that we see the same thing with the issue of 
uh, brain injured women being used as incubators, being mm. used as surrogates, whether that was voluntary or not, that they're that she's similar enough to us that the medical industry can use her body, but <clears throat> different enough yeah. um, that they don't have to value her life. And the big outcry from pro-lifers on that was that even if the child, even if you have someone who has passed away, there is rich, rich tradition of how do we treat the bodies of humans who have passed away. Mm -hmm. And, and pro-lifers support this, that even after death, you still are memorializing the dignity of that human being by how you treat their bodies. And you know that's why, I mean, there was a big debate in pro-life and Catholic bioethics circles um, early in the 60s whenever you know, organ donation was kind of you know, starting to gain momentum because there was still this consideration of, is this disrespectful? And you know, there was some papal addresses about this to kind of because those, were, those issues were being taken seriously from people on our side of is this too disrespectful to just the human body mm -hmm. you know maybe they're not alive anymore if you even if you say this brain brain dead patient is not alive anymore is this a respectful thing to do to the human right you know to the human body in in memorial and to giving it the right weight and so yeah you're absolutely right whenever it comes to trafficking mm -hmm. organs you know making a profit off of children especially after they were intentionally killed through abortion it's it's just adding a layer of malice and you know kind of just a complete attack on the underlying dignity of who that person is yeah. well you know mm -hmm. protecting the dignity of human life you know I, I here we're just past the anniversary of roe mm -hmm. and roe being overturned this is the first year we're hitting that anniversary and roe's been overturned mm -hmm. and people are saying roe's overturned we're done we did it well um, it looks like we still have a lot of very complicated, I think the one obvious glaring issue of should you kill children before they're born, that's been overturned. That's been answered by a court. Well, in part, in part, in part. we gave it back to the states for them to decide. Texas decided good. Other states, New York decided crazy. Um, and now we've got these really complicated ones. So we're, we're very not done. <laughs> there's so much there's so much weird in the world yeah. well so much. I, I think you you think about that foundation of dignity of human life and that is something that is going to have to be protected something that's going to have to be guarded um consistently as our medicine evolves as our medicine progresses and as our ability to do things like this like surrogacy i mean this was not an issue you know, 40 years ago, because we didn't have the brain science that we do now, we didn't have the life-sustaining treatment um, technology that we do now, and mm -hmm. um, you know, we definitely didn't have kind of developed these norms of surrogacy. And so, as time goes on, as we you know develop technologies that can be used to save life and to prolong life, we're also you know having these technologies that kind of raise these new issues. And who else is going to be standing up and advocating for uh, the dignity of every human being, even if they're brain right. injured, even if they're devalued? So, um, yeah, the pro-life movement uh, has a lot of work to do uh, here in Texas. We have a lot of room to make uh, a lot of progress to make on patients' rights. You know, we still yes. that's one of the biggest fights that we have in the Capitol um, right now is, you know, how do we respect patients' rights? Um, how do we return more power to patients and their surrogates um, and to make life and death decisions? And so, um, yes, 
not not close to being done with all the threats to innocent human life, unfortunately. Yeah, I truly believe the best is yet to come for the pro-life movement that so many people think, well, now uh, Roe v. Wade is over, you're done. Or, I mean, what bigger accomplishments could you have now that Roe v. Wade is overturned? And yeah, that was a huge accomplishment. We had a party on this show. But the best, our best days are not behind us. Our mm-hmm. best days are still to come because the sanctity of life is so precious, is such a great gift from God that every victory that we have in protecting that is another just equally important to the heart of God that what the good and grace of one human being is worth more than the whole world. Mm-hmm. So every single one, uh, every single small victory like that, every single big victory as we continue and maybe one day we get uh, the entire country to outlaw abortion. Maybe one day we get the entire world to outlaw abortion. Here's hoping God can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that those days are ahead of us, that we still can accomplish these big goals. And we're not done after Roe v. Wade. We still have bright days ahead. Right. And and let me make a plug uh, for the legislative team. So Rebecca Parma is our new legislative director, right. heading up our team in Austin. Even today, I can be here because she's running the team in Austin. Um, and she has the the most ambitious legislative agenda uh, that our organization has ever had. Praise so you, the Lord. So usually Praise when I was ledge director, like I would limit us to like five major bills. So we would make our form. Um, she's going to be hard to keep it at a dozen because <laughs> because there are some huge things, um, you know, fully enforcing our laws to protect life just because abortion is illegal doesn't mean that it's actually uh, being stopped in Texas. There's right. a lot of lawless activities. So she wants to you know, fully enforce our pro-life laws. The big one uh, is building a pro-life Texas mm-hmm. is like you're saying, what can we do to protect life and promote life, remove barriers for pregnant women um, and, and lead to human flourishing in the state of Texas? Yep. Um, she That is gonna be tough because there are a lot of great things we can do mm-hmm. for pregnant um, women and their families. And, uh, and then obviously patients' rights. Uh, that she's working on. And so uh, I- I'm just saying, you're, you're absolutely right, is she is swinging big Let's for go. a very long list of bills that are very pressing and are going to make substantial changes to protect life, but also to promote it. And these yeah. are really exciting yeah. things like social services and medical services for pregnant women, um, removing barriers for college students who are pregnant. So adoption agency and fo- adoption and foster care reform. Is something. Yeah, that's yeah. what the team that's was working huge. on today. They yeah. were working on adoption and foster Lord, care reform. That's an undertaking. Um, and so, yeah, so there is like great, great potential for pro-lifers to make substantial differences in the lives of Texans through the legislation. So anyway, they're, they're working on that now. Um, so it's, it's very exciting. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, friends, I think that's about all the time we had. There's a couple other things I want to get into, but it's going to be another day. So like, share, share with your friends. You have plenty more ammunition to have conversations, hard conversations with your friends, good conversations with your friends and neighbors and loved ones. Conversations to- with yourself whenever you're just driving or you're like going through these post-apocalyptic scenarios. <laughs> this is one of them. This is, I, I mean, this is what happens when shower thoughts run amok, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know. I'm just <laughs> proud of you, Brett, for not having any uh, zombie references I in d- this entire episode. I, I kept the zombie references out. I could have gone to the AI references. Oh, could. No. I could have. But yeah. maybe another time. Whenever we have these open ended, I'm just like, where are we going? Are we are we talking about sci-fi? What, we so, could. But I no. Mean, but anyway, great self control. Want me to? <laughs> I will argue about AI for a long time. Anyways, we're out of time today. We'll do the AI conversation another day. Thank you guys for watching. We'll see you next Thursday.